This is Sal Coladonado from The Slant, and you're listening to the BS Podcast Network. Please make sure everybody can see the screen. Okay, see genetic matching room. Hi, and welcome to the Avatar program. Soon, you're going to have a chance to undertake an amazing Navi rite of passage, riding on the back of a banshee by being genetically matched. A banshee? The chief don't ride on no back of no freaking banshee. Live from Animal Kingdom, Pandora, Flight of Passage, it's Fish Sean Wu, Chief of the Malakin Nation, and you're getting ready to listen to the next episode of the Magic Our Way podcast with my main man, Eli, Kevin, Danny, and of course, everybody's favorite travel agent. What are you looking at, dude? I'm podcasting. Lee Lastavica. Jumbo, everyone. Harambe. Unfortunately, banshees live high in rookeries and humans can't get Banshees? Good grief. Jumbo, everyone. Harambe. And welcome to another edition of the Magic Our Way Podcast. Sante Sun, everyone. You're listening to the Magic Our Way podcast from New Orleans, Louisiana, in the United States of America. We are artistic buffs talking about Disney stuff, and this is the show in which every opinion is welcome. MagicOurWay.com is where you can find us. My name is Kevin. And I am Danny. And on this show, we follow the Disney concept of edutainment, where we focus on your entertainment, and along the way, you just might learn a thing or two. Hey, hey, hey! And as always, to join the discussion, we have our resident comic genius from AviComics.com, Mr. Eli Avery. How you doing, sir? I'm doing good. That is a weekend. It is not a day I have to go into work on site and worry about people giving me the virus. So other than that, I'm doing great. How y'all doing? We're doing good, man. The weekend is right. I don't have to do work, and we're good. We're off. And we're virus talking busy, free. so better. Yes. Virus free. That is right. Knock virus on free. wood. Oh, yeah. Knocking on wood, wearing gloves, looking like a Mortal Kombat character. All that. That's right. Having my hand sanitizer, all that. All that. Spread all that. Some girl tried to talk to me. I said, move, girl, move. I, you got to stay safe. Get out of the way. Get out of the way. We have them good clean weekends. It was, you know, clean weekends. Right. You know? That's right. I was like, like, now it's not even like, what's your sign? Now it's like, what your temperature is. <laughs> so speaking of clean weekends, we got our resident travel agent for Magical Moments Vacations, the Shaggy TA, Lee Lastavica. How you doing? Clean Lee. I'm good, man. Just uh, jacked up and masked up. What's what's up with y'all? What's up? Jacked up. What's up, jacked up? <laughs> all right, jacked up. How does a mask cover all what you got it to is offer? a pain in the ass. Let me tell you this. If there is anything that is going to make me shave this beard is this damn corona. I will tell you that, man. It is very uncomfortable having that mask and all that beard and mustache and everything smushed up on your face. It's terrible. <laughs> I saw that picture you posted. I was like, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah that doesn't even work. <laughs> it's crazy, man. That looked so, like hair just exploded out of your face. <laughs> so just personal hygiene isn't going to make you do it. No, Your, your no. wife's affection <laughs> isn't going to make you do it. But the coronavirus... <laughs> That might make you shave that beard. That might. It might. We'll see. If this goes out much, much longer, you might see a little clean-shaven baby face over here. <laughs> clean-shaven baby face. Hey, wow. 
my neighbor up the street texted me the other day, like did a little FaceTime, and all of a sudden I'm like, dude, you have no more beard. And he's like, yeah, I shaved it. No. He shaved it. That's one thing, man. Look, it's a beard bug. That's what a lot of people are calling it, the beard bug. So, uh, yeah, it can get lodged in there, Lee. So if you're, if you're working in malls, man, you got a family, shave or at least Just trim. Prune the hedges, uh, Lee. Prune your hedges right off on the women. Of many small villages. Villages, yes. <laughs> Pillage it all. Well, look, guys, we got a great show for you today, man. We're going to be talking about two of my favorite subjects. Not only, as you know, it may be Disney, but we also have great pride in our city of New Orleans here, the Big Easy, the Crescent City. And so we're going to, the first show, we're going to talk about this. I mean, we got a couple of shows about this. And the first one we're going to chat about is about Walt's love for Disney and New Orleans Square in Disneyland. And And not only are we going to talk about those two areas or two points, but we're also going to educate you some on New Orleans as a city because New Orleans is more than just freaking Bourbon Street and the French Quarter, guys. There's a lot more going on here. So you're about to learn something from actual New Orleanians. So uh, enough of our jibber-jabber. Let's go explore the New Orleans Disney magic. Ladies and gentlemen, as we have done in previous shows and have been doing even more so recently, we are continuing to involve the Magic Our Way listeners in our shows. And to help us with this hub, we present Mr. Disney Thanksgiving, former podcaster of the WW Navigators, a member of the Numa Week in Order, Lee's nemesis, a Grandpa Eli's fan, a Walt Disney World during Halloween and Thanksgiving regular... And expert, I would add, listener X, and the only Mawekin to take Kevin's seat twice and host. And might I also add a very, very long time Mawekin, Keith. Welcome back to the show, sir. Hey, thanks, guys. Talk about an intro, man. I think that one's longer than Lee's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not as long as my beard, though, so that's... Nothing is as long as your beard. Nothing. <laughs> I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, it's been a long time. But, you know, you've been one of our longest Mawekin... Members, uh, so we're glad to have you back on the show. Uh, I just want to ask you, are you doing okay with all this kind of uh, business going on right now? Yep, I'm uh, hanging in here, you know, uh, staying safe like everyone else and uh, excited to do some podcasting for a change. Absolutely, guys. And look, Mohicans, um, this is the time of year and we usually have a ton of festivals happening in the, in the city of New Orleans or out throughout Louisiana. Uh, most notably, what's not happening this weekend is New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival. Uh, but that's okay. That's okay. Well, not really okay, but it'll do for now because we're going to talk about a subject that's near and dear to my heart, and it's, it has to do with Disney and, uh, and New Orleans itself, our fair city. So, uh, Keith, won't you give the listeners a little bit of a rundown of what we're about to experience on this particular show? Yeah, so I was starting to come up with um, a topic about the Port Orleans and Dixie Landings, and I did some research and I found a lot of um, New Orleans connection with um, Walt Disney and, you know, the Disney company. So I thought, hey, you guys are from New Orleans. Why don't we do, you know, a whole show about, you know, New Orleans influence on uh, the Disney parks and, you know, specifically Disney World and how it ties in with Port Orleans and, you know, the Dixie Landing uh, hotels. Yeah. So we're going to get a little bit of New Orleans in here and something near and dear to a lot of New Orleans hearts. And that is Walt Disney World specifically or just Disney in general. Uh, because as we all know, and I've mentioned on the show, every Mardi Gras, at least half the state, if not the city, heads down to Walt Disney World during that time. So, yeah, where would you like to start, sir? I'll turn it over to you. So, Walt always had a fascination with New Orleans in the South. So, you know, Walt loved the city of New Orleans. You know, what's not to love about New Orleans? You know, he loved the food. He loved the music. 
you know, the architecture and the history. So Walt had, you know, many connections with the Crescent City. You know, he also loved the South, you know, with its deep history, its different legends and lore. Now, Walt was from Marceline, Missouri, but he, you know, he loved the South. So Walt's interest in New Orleans actually goes back to his childhood. And he had a fascination with the big steamboats that journeyed down the Mississippi River to New Orleans. So Keith, can I say this? Uh, uh, it's fair to say that Walt uh, loved everything, all things about the South, but mostly New Orleans. Is that, is that fair? <laughs> uh, yes, I would definitely say that. All right, good. Thank you. I hope he didn't love all things, all things about the South. Just the good stuff. About the South. <laughs> just the good stuff. Just specifically, you know, New good Orleans. Good point, Eli. Good point, Eli. Just, just, yeah. just looking out for y'all. That's it. That's yeah, it. Thank you. Well, I'm looking out for you. <laughs> <laughs> Need to look out for me. <laughs> but if you if you think about it, so you know. Walt was steamboats, you know, they were big um, part of the uh, the trade business in uh, New Orleans. And if you think about it, so the first Disney uh, Mickey Mouse cartoon was what? Steamboat, Steamboat Willie. Steamboat Willie. So there's your connection. So obviously, you know, Mickey Mouse's first cartoon was about, you know, Mickey Mouse on a steamboat. So obviously, clearly, you know, Walt definitely had an interest and he thought that would be a good topic for his first uh, cartoon. Now, also, the steamboat was part of Disneyland when it opened in 1955. So, you know, obviously, like I said, this was clearly an influence of Walt's love for the South. And it was named after? Lillian Bell. No. Well, it wasn't named after Lillian Bell. It was named after Lillian. Your mom and them. Yeah. Oh, I'm thinking of the one in Walt Disney World. Yeah, the one in Disney World is Liberty Bell, right? Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, The Mark Twain. That's right. Famous lover of all things New Orleans. Even when you go on the riverboat, there's a Mark Twain type actor that tells about their times on the Mississippi River. Kind of gives a na- uh, narration. And then Walt wanted a New Orleans themed section in his park um, as early as 1955. Um, obviously, it didn't happen until later, but we'll get into the history in a little bit. But at the opening day ceremonies in Disneyland, there was actually two bands and the type of music that they played was what is normally played in New Orleans type of type of influence of music. Jazz. Jazz. jazz, jazz, jazz. And I did the hands when I did it. You can't see me because I got the video <laughs> off, but I did the hands. Oh, no, Danny, I felt them over here. Oh, good. <laughs> I felt it. At the opening day ceremonies, there was um, the Firehouse 5 Plus 2, which played Dixieland jazz. So Walt was clearly influenced by New Orleans music and the South because he had it at opening day. So later on, Walt would create Dixieland at Disneyland, which featured Dixieland jazz in Carnation Gardens in 1960. So he clearly had, you know, he loved the music from New Orleans and he had playing in his park, you know, basically from opening day and from, you know, onwards as well. So I got a question. So were these like New Orleans musicians that came over or they were just musicians that he just had to learn Dixieland jazz? You know, that's a good question, Eli. My guess is it's somebody from California that just learns the um, the jazz bands. I'm not really sure, though. The Firehouse yeah. 5 plus 2, those were Imagineers. Like, because uh, it wasn't as a, was, was it one of them, Ward Kimball? I can't remember. Kev, you would know better. You're the musical expert. Uh, but I believe those were the Imagineers. Was just, they just got together and formed like a band, or at least some of them were. Like something for fun, like a hobby. They're just like, oh, okay, we'll just relate a style of music. Right, exactly. Now, I don't know about, uh, I, I'm pretty sure like what Keith said, they were lo- local musicians that, that played jazz music. But uh, Louis Armstrong performed, not necessarily oh, really? opening day, but um, like on um, in 1962, I believe, he he, he performed over on the Mark Twain and then he just kind of kept coming back and 
between 64 and 67, he was back. Uh, he recorded an album about Disney songs. I mean, he was a, a performer in the park a little bit. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So looking okay. it up real quick, uh, three famous uh, Imagineers, Harper Goff, Ward Kimball, Frank Thomas, those were all part of the Disneyland 5 plus 2. There you go. They weren't from New Orleans. Then. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, there were other ah. people uh, who, who got involved as well. Uh, but yeah, those, I mean, for all I know, some of them could have been, some of the names I just don't recognize. Danny Algier, uh, Clark Millari, Monty Mon- Mountjoy. I, I mean, some of these guys, their names I just don't recognize. But I knew at least a couple of them were Imagineers. I was going to say, I don't know no brothers from the neighborhood last name Kimball. So, uh <laughs> He's a one-armed jazz player. Yeah. <laughs> you pay that note. You find that note. I mean, that would make sense because you know Walt would like the music. You know, he loved the music, but he just high. You know, he just had some of employees play it, and he you know they just created the band that way. Well, right, and there was also yeah. the uh, so like there was also the uh, the Dixieland bandstand that was on the Rivers of America waterfront in Frontierland. Uh, that was one of the park's original features when Disneyland first opened, and and. They had uh, that group, um, it was like um, the Straw Hatters, something like that, where they, they would perform, it was like a jazz combo that uh, wore straw hats, and that's how they got the freaking name. So, like, they would go out there and perform uh, for the people, and up until they built New Orleans Square, and that all went away. So that was another area that you got jazz music in. Walt really liked his jazz. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. We need that kind of representation. Yeah, I mean... Well, I mean, I have I have records that he visited um, at least twice, possibly, you know, three times. I'm sure there's a lot of undocumented data as far as how many times he actually visited um, New Orleans. But in 1959, on a trip when he made to New Orleans, he actually met and I'm sure you guys know a lot more about him is Blaine Kern, the famous Mardi Gras float designer. Oh, yes. Um, Oh yeah, it's a big yeah. name around here for sure. Huge name, and 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 you know you'll see a lot of his stuff down in the resorts, and uh, you know he he builds a lot of the floats for a lot of the big parades. I mean, granted there are def- uh, a bunch of different companies, smaller companies, but Blaine Kern is the bigger name that you'll see attached to a lot of the big name parades that you'll see during Mardi Gras here in New Orleans. Yeah, he's Mister Mardi Gras. And didn't um, didn't Walt try to get him to become an Imagineer to actually come work for Disney at, at some point? He actually yeah. offered him a job, Lee. Um, okay, cool. to work to basically to be Imagineer and work on the designer floats for um, Disneyland. But Blaine Kern, you know, having his, you know, like you said, um, Kevin, working on, you know, the Mardi Gras floats and all that, you know, he turned down the offer, but Walt turns uh, toward the Blaine Kern studios and he saw these massive floats, which would then later become um, the Party Gras parade in Disneyland in 1990 to celebrate the 35 years of magic. So remember that Mardi Gras theme that they kind of had? I do. Uh, And then the floats would then eventually move to Disney World in 1991 to help celebrate the 20th anniversary of the Magic Kingdom. So once again, there's another um, influence of the New Orleans in the parks in kind of having the Mardi Gras kind of on the float. How many other times? As you said, three times. So what other uh, instances could you find of uh, Walt visiting New Orleans? Well, it, this might have been the same trip. It's not really documented. But when Walt was, you know, kind of wandering the streets of the French Quarter, he went into an, an, an antique store and he found um, a mechanical bird perched inside a metal cage. And he was like so fascinated by it. That he um he bought it and then he you know kind of walt you know always having that mind trying to figure out how things work you know he brought it to his imagineers and he basically gave it to him and said you know here figure out how this kind of works and that eventually you know they took it apart and you know eventually that was kind of the first preliminary audio animatronic and that eventually you know led to you know audio 
animatronics and, you know, the tiki room. Um, but in order to answer your question, Danny, there is a third time, which we'll get into a little bit later. That has something to do with a chandelier? No. No. And okay. once you know, this actually has to do with um, while searching for um, a location for Disney World. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. One of my favorite yeah. stories. Yeah. Uh, no, no. That The trip about the bird, I've heard that that happened when he came down here in 1946 because he was like, he was passing by on like a train trip going to the Atlanta premiere of Song of the South. And uh, that's when he stopped by. And one of my favorite aspects of that is like, cause I didn't, I knew the story, but I don't know for whatever reason, when Kevin and I went down to the quarter, we met up with Lou Mangiello and we're just sitting there shooting the braids with him and doing a little, you know, after the initial cordial, Hey, how you doing? Good to meet you. That kind of thing. Lou's like, wow, to think somewhere around here, that was that shop. And I'm like, what is he talking about? It took me a minute to catch it. Kevin, do you remember this? <laughs> yes, I do remember it. Right? Like, it took me a minute. It's like, oh, oh, and finally I, I figured it was talking about the mechanical bird that's somewhere along there. He, and he, that's when he started embellishing a little bit. He's like, yeah, man, they should have a sign in the window. This is where Walt, you know, found the bird and everything like that. And I'm like, ah, oh, I get it. And it's kind of funny, but yeah, there is no, as much as that's a famous part of Disney lore, there's no record whatsoever as to what shot that was. I mean, they probably didn't even know they sold a bird to Walt Disney and it was going to become a famous bird, you know? Well, yeah, but I mean, he was Walt Disney at that time. I mean, you're, you're, you're dealing with like Song of the South. This is 46 after, you know, he's already done sleeping. I mean, uh, Snow White and everything. I mean, he's pretty famous. You got to be like, I mean, most people, my God, uh, what's his face? Uh, Matt Damon goes and eats over at Vincent's. They're going to take a picture and put him on the wall. <laughs> That's like, true. Yeah, yeah. So-and-so ate here. You would think there would be like so, Walt Disney and... His wife was here, and they bought a bird, and blah, 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 blah. So anyway, I, I just found that fascinating when Luke kind of brought up that point. I never even really quite considered that whoever sold him that bird never really capitalized on the fame. Of it. And who knows, Keith? Maybe you're right. Maybe we just some old dude didn't even recognize Walt. Yeah, you know, that's the thing, too. It's like, you know, New Orleans people, you know, it takes a lot to get a New Orleans boy out of New Orleans, right? So that's case in point, like Blaine Kern. I mean, this he might have been a shop owner. Just like, you know, he, Walt strolls in, and he's like, yeah, I'd like to buy this and that, and totally not recognize, like you said. He might be like, right. who, who's Walt? <laughs> who are you? <laughs> or he, he might have looked at him and said, oh, you know who you kind of remind me of? That Walt Disney guy, but I know you ain't him. <laughs> no way you would come to the store. I mean, that's what like, Walt's is strange for that. Like, we got to ask people. We all just assume that person's famous, that it's just that person. You know, we will sit down and try to gauge them out. Do you guys get that? You know, you're walking down the street, you know, somebody hears your voice and they're like, wait a second. I know that voice. That's a voice of the guys from the Magic Heartway podcast. You guys must get that a lot, right? Never. Oh, no, ever. absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> ever. You know, one time, uh, Keith, I, I was hap- I happened to drive by and I saw them filming the Jay and Silent Bob reboot movie. And I stopped over there and the guy came up to me. He's like, oh, my God, I, I know who you are. And I said, really? <laughs> I'm like, the hell does this guy know me from? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, you're him. And I'm like, who? And he goes, the guy from Clerks. You're the guy, right? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you were like, I'm oh. not even supposed to be on the set today. Exactly. <laughs> oh, Say the line. Say the line. I should have just Seven gone with it and dance, fat boy. <laughs> but no, no, I've never been. Uh, yeah, no, no one's ever heard like because that's the thing. We're not a visual podcast. We're right. Audio, yeah. So they have to hear us talking. Yeah. yeah. It's a little so harder. I, I sat. A true story is uh, one time I, I was at a bar and I sat right next to Forrest Whitaker. And I didn't know it was him until I just happened to like hear him talk. He was sitting right by so me. You looked him in the eye? Oh, dude, Lee. He looked, 
<laughs> Did you talk about I shrimp? Guess I, I guess I should have. <laughs> huh? Did you talk about shrimp? Uh, no, we shrimp. No. No, 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 wait. Forrest Whitaker no. wasn't Bubba Gump. <laughs> Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump. Gump. That was, no, uh, he was in the movie. No, he wasn't. No, no, no. no you're thinking no, of another guy. I think you're, yeah. You're thinking of Makai, M- M- uh, M- uh, not Makai Pfeiffer. Not, not Makai Pfeiffer, no. It was. Um, oh, never mind. <laughs> never mind. Oh, sorry. I'm off this <laughs> page. This is the problem with the South. They dig all black people looking like that and walk off. <laughs> Yeah, I was walking down the street. I thought I saw you over there. To bring this back, I also found out that he, uh, Walt came and visited in 1940 uh, when he was going to the Fantasia premiere in New York. And Walt stopped in New Orleans to soak up the atmosphere and try to kind of get ideas for a film that he was planning about Uncle Remus. Ah, ah another well. connection to the South. There you go. You know, there's another time he must have visited was when, you know, Walt and Lillian came and bought a chandelier uh, that he used in New Orleans Square. And we can talk about that when we get to New Orleans Square. So he's been here a lot then. Oh, yeah. yeah. Probably Bourbon Street probably drawed him in. You know, I don't have any uh, specifically Walt references there, but I'm sure he hit the, the bars there. I'm sure at some point. Oh, yeah. There's a plaque in Big Daddy's that uh, <laughs> <laughs> Walt <laughs> tipped here. <laughs> yeah. 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 Walt got mouse ears by the, by the stripper pole. Uh, we're sorry, Keith. Go ahead. So do we want to kind of jump into I got kind of the elephant um, around the room that has the big New Orleans connection with Walt and the Disney Parks is uh, New Orleans Square. Wait, wait, before you jump to New Orleans Square, now, there's a couple of other areas that you, know, you that I wanted to uh, touch upon real quick that were just to kind of validate your point, Keith, about how Walt loved New Orleans so much and that he had kind of, he'd always planned that there was going to be a New Orleans area in Disneyland. In fact, I always heard that was supposed to be the Magnolia Park area, which it eventually became the, uh, the expansion for the uh, Jungle, Jungle Cruise. That's where he was going to put it originally. And then as time went on and they expanded more and more, he decided to go ahead and and put it where it ended up. But one of the things that was present on opening day was Lafitte's anchor. Now y- y'all, uh, maybe it was Kirk who was with me when we found Lafitte's anchor. Do y'all, did you, were y'all there for that? Uh, was that at uh, Tab Sawyer? No, no, wasn't on Tom Sawyer. Although they do have Lafitte's, uh, they they they'd have like a reference to Lafitte on Tom Sawyer's Island because I remember Kirk and I going to go find it. I think there's an anchor that was there on opening day, and that anchor it, it's it's commonly referred to as Lafitte's anchor, and it's been moved around a bit, but you know it was located back then in Frontierland. Now you can find it along the banks of the rivers of America, but it's supposed to be like a like a relic from the uh, the pirate ship commanded by Jean Lafitte, who's very well known in New Orleans lore. He's like our local pirate, and the plaque on it has always read the exact same thing, which is said to be from a pirate ship commanded by Jean Lafitte in the Battle of New Orleans, January 8th, 1815. It is also said that Lafitte's privateering ships left a wake of blood from the mainland to Barataria Bay, but don't believe everything you read. So <laughs> right then and there, it's like, oh my God, they have nice. Lafitte's uh, anchor in. It's like, yeah, probably not. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Take it with a grain of salt. I thought that was kind of a, a cool little touch. And to know that it's kind of always been there. And in addition to that, like, so another, before you get to New Orleans Square, I, don't, I think you need to talk about New Orleans Street, which I'm sure you're familiar with it. But I mean, Walt labeled one of the streets New Orleans Street, and it was officially dedicated on August 9th, 1955 by actress Dorothy Lamour. And it was also done on a Tuesday to kind of tie in with Mardi Gras, Fat Tuesday. You know how that goes. And And Mardi Gras translates to Fat Tuesday. Exactly. And there was a Dixieland jazz group that played along with all kinds of other entertainers. And New Orleans Street connected uh, Frontierland and New Orleans Square, starting at the Golden Horseshoe and ending at the Riverbell Terrace, which back then used to be known as anybody? 
Was that the Plantation House restaurant? Close. No, that's what, that ended up becoming the Haunted Mansion, though, but close. Aunt Jemima's Pancake House. Get out of here! <laughs> I am oh, not no kidding you. Yes, so if you ever look at the Riverbell Terrace, that used to be known as Aunt Jemima's Pancake House. And there were architectural elements that are just blatant, like the famed like, wrought iron balconies that you see in New Orleans were just blatantly ripped off. And it, and it kind of sat there at the end of the street. And it was like, well, this is our little representation of New Orleans. And that was Aunt Jemima's Pancake House. And it, it, it sub, subsequently in later years, I don't know if it was like the early 70s or whatever, it finally it turned over and became the Riverbell Terrace. That was not, So he had his like New Orleans locale before he had a whole square to accompany it. And Danny, just to go into that, so I have another house. So the Plantation House, which was uh, opened in 1955 to 1962. Now that had more kind of a Southern feel to it. So that kind of served uh, Southern fried chicken and um, kind of similar to um, the other house that you just mentioned. The building itself had a side that faced the rivers of America. And like you said, just straight rip out of the French Quarter had a New Orleans style um, facade. And it was reminiscent of a pre-Civil War New Orleans and much of an influence of being an old Southern style, you know, plantation feel. Now, obviously, like you said, that area kind of got ripped down and that kind of helped develop into, you know, the New Orleans Square. That's that's it exactly. So, I mean, you could say he was he was trying to get it in there before it was actually there. I mean, that's how much he, for whatever reason, I mean, I don't know what happened in his first trip to New Orleans, but he loved this city and yep. he wanted his own embodiment of it in in. Disneyland. Well, Keith, you came here once. What was your feeling when you came to the city? I mean, oh, you mean New Orleans or, or New Orleans? New Orleans, New Orleans, oh, New Orleans. Well, actually, I was there um, actually three times. Once in the 70s. I don't remember. I just remember walking down Bourbon Street and my mom covered my eyes because I guess, you know, I wasn't supposed to see whatever I was supposed to see. The second time I was there in 2010. And I mean, I personally love the city. I, well, number one, I love the food and just such the history and the French Quarter and the architecture, I just, you know, everything about it. I mean, you know, I just love, so I totally understand how Walt could totally, you know, fall in love with the city. And of course, the third time I met you guys. So I always have a sweet part of the city now, you know, connection with you guys as well. So, and can I tell you, that's probably the last time I've been in the quarter. Really? Yes. Oh my God. I've been in New Orleans square more often than I've been in the French quarter. (laughs) That is, that's hilarious. Yeah. Oh God. No, I I had my share of growing up in the French quarter, but yeah. Time has gone by. Right. So just to give a little more, um, and guys, feel free to add in some history because, you know, I don't have every single detail of the uh, Northern Square, but why don't we kind of jump into a little bit of how, you know, how we went from the Plantation House and, you know, that area that was kind of near the Jungle Cruise, and now it kind of developed into um, the Northern Square itself. Now, what I have as history, and like I said, feel free to jump in, is I have that in the late 1950s, you know, Imagineers, you know, we're starting to work on some uh, artwork and some development for a creepy haunted house. You know, we know what that eventually became. So, you know, as plans developed um, in 1961, you know, the, the planned haunted house was moved to the north, which then they ripped down the Plantation House restaurant because they needed land to expand. And that, you know, land eventually became um, New Orleans Square. Now, as part of the New Orleans Square planning in the late 1950s, the Imagineers were thinking about doing a pirate walk through Wax Museum and a thieves market specifically designed for shopping. 
I mean, what kind of makes sense is having a pirate theme and then a pirate, you know, theme connection to New Orleans. And I'm sure that makes sense why he put it in New Orleans Square. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Jean Lafitte, you know, one of our most famous pirates here in the New Orleans area. Right. We're, yeah. we're a port area, so we would attract mm-hmm. all kind of seamen. Oh, yeah. And, and there, there were so many references to Lafitte all over the park. So you guys obviously been to New Orleans Square. I mean, last time I was in Disneyland, I was, you know, six years old, but... That is kind of, um, well, actually, before we kind of get your input in New Orleans Square, let me just talk a little bit about the grand opening of um, New Orleans Square. So for the grand opening itself, Walt, he kind of put in the best foods of New Orleans. He had gumbo, croissants, and uh, he also invited the mayor of New Orleans at the time, who was Victor... Shiro. Skiro. 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 Sorry, Skiro. I knew I was going to mess it up. Like I said, it's you okay. guys know the history way more than me. Keith, don't feel bad. I listened to Walt's dedication. He mispronounced it too. Okay, all right. Then uh, me and Walt are just alike there, right? So um, Yeah, it's really tough because it's a very French influence area. So so Walt joked to the, um, the mayor. He said that his New Orleans Square was actually cleaner than the city of New Orleans. And he actually said it was more expensive because it cost him $18 million to build. And it only cost a Louisiana purchase uh, $11 million. <laughs> yeah, <sorta. laughs> But he's right about that being cleaner than uh, our city for sure. <laughs> well, that is true. Obviously, the restaurants that Walt put into New Orleans Square, you know, he tried to create his own little mock, you know, Crescent City. So we had, you know, two New Orleans-inspired restaurants, the Creole Cafe and the Blue Bayou. And the... Um- I didn't realize that Blue Bayou was the first restaurant to actually take reservations in Disneyland. So that was something else. Ah, interesting. Nice. Look at that. Look at the travel planner picking up on that. <laughs> you getting it? Yeah, make my ADRs. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, the restaurants all had Cajun rice, French pastries, pretty much different types of oysters, crab and shrimp over rice. And of course, the Blue Bayou is, you know, famous for the uh, Monte Cristo. So obviously Walt was definitely putting all the New Orleans foods that, you know, he loved when he visited the city into his park and into, you know, the restaurants. Which oddly enough, we don't, you don't find a lot of Monte Cristo's in New Orleans. I was going to ask that because really? yeah. to me, the Monte Cristo does not relate to New Orleans. I mean, obviously it does, but I didn't know that it did. So like, here's a, here's yeah. a connection, Lee. You ready? Okay, go for it. The croque monsieur <laughs> is, is a Parisian type of food, which we obviously are heavily uh, influenced mm-hmm. by French cuisine. That's mm-hmm. where the connection lies in is that the uh, Monte Cristo is kind of like a cousin to that. Does yeah, that yeah. make sense, Kev? I mean, no, yeah, no, that absolutely makes sense. Yeah. But it just, it's not like a famous thing like beignets. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know why it's no. not as famous as other New Orleans type food, but to me, that's not. I never knew the Monte Cristo came from the area. We would get, we would order croque monsieur's and we wouldn't get like a Bennigan's freaking Monte Cristo, you know? Lee, it's like ordering a taco south of the border and ordering a taco at Taco Bell. Right. <laughs> and obviously, you know, Walt put his own spin on beignets and, you know, you can get Mickey Mouse shaped beignets. 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 Smooth out yeah. that end, sir. Yeah, Biggie. I'm learning all my uh, New Orleans lingo today, ain't I? You yeah. and the rest of the out of town of week. Exactly. And that's okay. We share it. Because, hey, I tell you what. Eli and I have experience, much experience with beignets. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you used to work, right? You used to work at mm-hmm. Cafe Dumont, correct? We used to work yeah, at Cafe yeah. Dumont. We yep. used to cook them. Four and a half years. <laughs> oh, boy, yeah. Slick, slick and dope. And you wonder yep. why when you met them, they were a little uh, hefty around the midsection. <laughs> <laughs> but that was beer. That was beer there, <laughs> Yeah, but you know what's funny about that? It's like I was the skinniest I ever was working at Cafe Dumont. And I used to eat a product a lot. It was because you're on your feet all day. Yeah. 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 Now I was sitting on my butt recording podcasts. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to take a little side journey. When we ate at Blue Bayou, what did you guys, did you guys eat anything that was like 
New Orleans style. I was so, so was like, drunk. I don't remember. <laughs> well, let's go into that. Let's, oh, let's hear about God. your experience in New Orleans Square. Oh, it was great. No, it was, it was, it was, a, and I remember when I, I guess Lee and I walked in there because we we're waiting for Danny and Lee to, uh, Danny and Eli, or maybe it was Kirk too, to join up with us for dinner reservations. It was, uh, all through that Eli and I were drinking right. heavily yes. at the pool. And right. Then we and went so to we sat Sam. on the bench and it was, it was, just sitting on the bench, it was like a, a little breath of home, you know, because we were sitting on a guy just kind of waiting for it. The weather was nice. It was perfect in California. And just looking around, I was just like, hey, look at this. It's kind of cleaner. It's kind of familiar. Very familiar. But it was it was also like they had these like little dark corners that you would go around. And it was it's not like, just you know, what's funny about those, those dark corners is that those are safer to go into <laughs> there than it is here. Oh, oh yeah, for sure. One hundred percent. But, yeah. you know, but it, it still had that kind of ambience of like, it wasn't just like, oh, this is a, you didn't feel like you're in the middle of a theme park. For no, sure. no, right. for sure. But right. I mean, there was no one around asking you where you had them, where you, where you bought them shoes. Uh, yeah, so right. that would have made yeah. it a little bit more authentic and close to New Orleans. But I mean, no, I remember Eli and I arrived in the park way late because we were, we were drinking heavily at Trader Sam's and at the pool. And then we got into there and it was just like. We were feeling no pain. We were happy. We were having fun. And I remember that's when we had, and I think we posted it on Facebook, that's when we had our caricature done. And, and the, we, we met up with one of the uh, mm-hmm. portrait artists out there, and they did a, a whole big portrait of all uh, all five of us at that point in time. Mm-hmm. So, now, can yeah. you get yeah. that done in New Orleans? Like the portraits yeah. like that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. section for that. Yeah. yeah. They, they have okay. like a little thing. You know, like how when you go to Walt Disney World, Keith, and you go to Paris, and they have Walt, well, they used to. I know that. Or like Liberty Square, they have that. Well, Liberty Square is more, I guess, the silhouette. But I know, I know what you're talking about, Dan. Yeah, the character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, they do that over there as well. But um, here in New Orleans, I mean, yeah, it's, it's kind of like an outdoor gallery on steroids. Uh, and it's, it is still has, like, uh, active showmanship uh, out here in the quarter. Uh, although when we went to Disneyland, again, like Kevin said, it was a lot cleaner. Uh, it's a lot more uh, compact. You know, it's almost like they take, like, a block of street and uh, a good piece of street and put it right down there. But yeah, all they need is some street performers, uh, some assault, they do rags, and like, I would feel just at home right there. So one of the things people do wonder about is why they call it New Orleans Square, because it really, like, with all the little side streets like we were talking about that winding in and around, it's not really a square. Well, any local New Orleanian knows that the actual historic name for the New Orleans French Quarter is... Vucare. Vucare. And what does Vucare translate into? Uh, square view. Old square. That is how you get the name French Quarter Square. Mm-hmm. Yes. And we have Not that, named uh, after Jackson Square. So no, that's no, 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 no. Not the Jackson Square. No. So anybody that's listening is like, oh, yeah, they got Jackson Square. No, 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 no. We're talking about Vucare. But uh, yes. Keith, you did ask. You said, um, uh, how uh, close is it? Or am I interrupting you? Is there something do you want to tell us more? Because you were asking about how close in representation their quarter is to ours. Yeah, I was, you know, obviously being there your whole life and, you know, growing up there, you know, does it feel like kind of like a theme park version of it? Kind of like I think Lee was saying it's, you know, a little bit cleaner or maybe that was Kevin. Um, Like, what do you guys what do you guys think? I'm going to I want to take this time real quick because it's like I said, it's one of the few places like I don't really even go to the quarter anymore. Like, it's just it's too much of a hassle to get down there. And, you know, it's there's too many shysters in the streets and whatnot. But um, when you talk about how New Orleans Square compares to the real thing, one of my favorite stories, and I've told it on this podcast before, but for the sake of new listeners who might have seen what the title of this show is and clicked on the show to go ahead and 
get some appreciation, learn some knowledge as to how New Orleans and Disneyland kind of matches up. When you're talking about how close of a representation New Orleans Square is to the actual French Quarter, there was this uh, former New Orleanian uh, mayoral candidate named Kimberly Williams Butler. Do you do you guys remember her? Yes, yes, yes. You can still find it somewhere. So in 2006, Mrs. Butler, uh, she was like the clerk of court at the time. Uh, she was running for mayor of New Orleans. And uh, on her campaign website, Mrs. Butler posted a picture of herself smiling, standing in front of a backdrop of the French Quarter. You know, and you saw the pastel buildings and the ornate ironwork. And it's like, oh, look, there's a French Quarter. But there were just like two problems with it. You know, one the French Quarter was extraordinarily cleaner than what it normally is. And, and two, the trash cans look nothing like the, tra- the trash cans in the, in the actual quarter. And in fact, they were like a light pastel blue or some kind of thing. And, you know, some people just never gave it a second thought. Other people were like, wait a minute, something's, something's up here. Well, something's off, yeah. yeah. <laughs> As it turns out, uh, I guess when Google searching pictures for her website, Mrs. Butler's team uh, jumped all over this beautiful, pristine image of the quarter. Uh, but as the saying goes, if it looks too good to be true, it probably is. Well, they accidentally mistook Disneyland's New Orleans Square for the actual French Quarter and uploaded the image on their website because it looks so close to the original. So a Disney public relations official had to kind of comment <laughs> on the matter and said that the company was completely unaware of the unauthorized use of this image and that the matter had been referred to their legal department. <laughs> and so Butler's campaign uh, in response to getting threats from Disney lawyers Fix the photo by photoshopping out the trash cans. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that was yeah. my favorite part of it. Yeah. Well, there you go, Danny. If a politician's using a ba- you know, using the actual Disneyland, I think that's a pretty good representation. I feel like they were looking through different pictures and they were like, uh, this is too dirty. Uh, there's a bum here. Uh, there's somebody peeing on the street. Oh, this one's nice. Let's use this one. <laughs> that's how they ended up with the Disneyland picture as opposed to the real picture. Can I tell you, Lee, that's what I thought at first, too. I'm like, it had to be an accident. But then when Disney lawyers threaten you, and instead of changing the image, they're like, oh, shoot, we messed up. <laughs> they just Photoshop out the trash cans, and Disney had to get on them again. And then finally, they had to you know. Take all the Mickey, they had to Photoshop the terrible. Mickey off yeah, of everyone. No. Well, they had to they had to Photoshop off the uh, fanny packs, <laughs> off the yes. fanny packs. Yeah, right. <laughs> the yeah. Tall the <laughs> no, but like now she's getting criticism from New Orleanians because now this is a thing, and then Disney's threatening things, and so finally they removed the 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 picture of the idyllic French Quarter thing, and of course, needless to say. Poor Mrs. Butler did not win election that year. But oh, that, that Danny, to add to that story, though, uh, it wasn't just the website, too, because she had, like, you know, it was a whole mayoral, like, promotion, right? So she had billboards. So there was that, because there was uh, where I live, I have to cross a bridge, and there is a section for billboards. So that exact picture, I would cross that during that campaign uh, every day. So, yes, whenever you tell that story, I got that vivid picture of going home, seeing her, because she's smiling, boy. She's smiling, looking clean, and the city behind her looking clean, and not even the city she's in. So, yes. <laughs> and then this was, like, around about, like, 2006. Like, this was right after Katrina that right after all this Katrina. happened. Oh, wow. So, Keith, when you asked about how close of a representation it was to the quarter, yep. if not for the trash cans, you wouldn't have even known. 
I mean, that says a lot then about Walt's representation of, uh, you know, New Orleans, if, if a politician in, in New Orleans is using that as their background for their campaign. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, so. if I may, if I may, and, um, and that's something that happens with New Orleans a lot, is that uh, she definitely had a lack of attention to detail for sure, right? And as you're saying, in terms of how well it re- is represented in Disneyland, there's, a, there's definitely a lot of reasons why that could be. Um, and if I may, I'd like to go into some of those points, if I could. Uh, and oh, you may. So the movie oh, you stuff. make those points, Oh, thank me. you. Since we're talking about Blue Bayou, let's let's talk about that real quick as far as the menu goes, right? Um, so a lot of the stuff that you find on Blue Bayou, like the appetizers and, you know, the entrees, yeah, typically you'll find that, you know, fried calamari, hush puppies, surf and turf, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, we got it. The thing I want to point out is the desserts that they offer. Of course, number one, creme brulee. Yeah, you're definitely going to find that here in New Orleans. Number two, they have this thing called the layered chocolate cake. So my local boys, uh, w- layered chocolate cake, layered cake in general, what comes to mind when I say layered cake? Doberge. Doberge, exactly. However, their layered chocolate cake doesn't have the right amount of layers. Uh, so it's like <laughs> half of a, half of a doberge cake. And so, um, does anybody want to explain or do, do they know what, uh, what the doberge cake is, is all about kind of a thing? Oh my God. I don't know the history of the doberge cake. I'm not a big cake fan. Just tell me, Kevin, what is that cake? I don't even know. It's a basically it's a it's a layer cake and it, it's it's and the layers aren't like a layers you think of like a regular stacked birthday cake or something. They're very thin layers stacked. Usually, I think that uh, the the standard is about seven or eight. I believe I believe it's eight. Um, uh, it, the the origin comes from all the way from like Turkey and stuff, but we're not going to go into all of that. But the local lady that went into it and developed this cake developed it specifically for our particular hum, uh, humidity, weather, that kind of stuff. You know, uh, she uses a particular cake and particular type of filling and some fondant on the outside to kind of protect it from the humidity. Um, we call it Doberge. Disneyland calls it a layered chocolate cake, although it's half the size. It's almost, it looks like their, their layered cake is kind of like a tiramisu slash Doberge kind of a thing. But that's basically what it is. It's an awesome cake. You should definitely try it at some point whenever you're down here, you know? You forgot one major, major thing over at Blue Bayou. What's that? The mint julep. Mint julep. Ah, uh, uh, the mint julep. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How traditional the mint julep drink? Yeah, absolutely. That's you know. I remember that's what I used to sober up <laughs> because in New Orleans you use that to get drunker. But there in Disneyland, I mean, the, the mint julep is a virgin mint julep. It's a yeah. yeah it's a it's non-alcoholic a drink. drink. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. So go ahead, Kev. Tell us the rest. So there's a bunch of different details that uh, uh, that you know the regular Disney fan may not overlook that actually have big ties to New Orleans. First of all, I mentioned at the top of the show the chandelier. There was a chandelier that uh, was located in a shop at once called the Jewel of Orleans. Uh, which is at the front corner spot of Royal Street. Now it's called, uh, what was that, Mademoiselle Antoinette's Perfumery. And in there is a chandelier that Walt and Lillian uh, purchased in New Orleans. You know, it's, it's some kind of antique chandelier that you find a lot here in New Orleans, especially in the houses in the quarter. You'll have the big chandelier, and I forget what they call it, but there's like that little circular piece that it's kind of mounted in. Um, it has all kind of in, intricate designs. So that's definitely something in New Orleans that you'd find here. Well, Lillian was a big uh, antiques fan. I mean, that's how he, it, she would go to these different little shops in, in New Orleans, and that's how they found that mechanical bird, as, as Keith referenced earlier. So, yeah, she had a big fondness for antiques. Yeah, and it could probably spur in their, uh, the reason for coming to New Orleans so often because of all those antiques. Mm-hmm. You know? Another feature that you might notice on these buildings is these things called fire marks. Does anybody know what a fire mark is? Or a fire plaque? Or so would that be like, mm, no, I don't. I was going to say, would that be like just from the, the torches and the lights on the streets? No, actually, these are actual plaques that you'll find on Disneyland buildings, which you'll also find in the quarter. Basically, they'll have some kind of design like a fire truck or fire hose or whatever else, but 
basically that means that that building had fire insurance. <laughs> what it was. <laughs> and wow. this is a, yeah, this is a tradition that goes back to say Britain after the big London fire, uh, the British needed some way to, or to, to do, to address all the fire damage and repairs in an orderly fashion. So if a building had insurance on it, they were able to know how you know that it was covered. It was protected. They'd be able to rebuild, and it'd be, it'd be all orderly. So you will find those not only in Disneyland's uh, New Orleans Square, but you will find it here in the quarter too. And it helped arsonists feel less guilty because when they set something yes. on fire, <laughs> oh, it's got fire insurance, so no biggie. Do you think people took those plaques and put them on other buildings? You know that didn't have fire insurance. <laughs> like you steal someone's inspection sticker off their car. Yeah, I may or may not have, as a young kid who would get drunk in the quarter, uh, take uh, tickets that were on one car and switch them to another car. Uh, <laughs> uh, nice. I'm not saying that ever happened, in, but in some world that might or may or not, like this little, uh, what do you call it, uh, side universe, multiverse. Multiverse. The multiverse, yeah. there might have been a Danny who did something like that. Yeah, so that FireMart guys, just to let you know, you know, it started out in Britain and it spread all out. And of course, it went to port cities that had a lot of different cultures mixed in, like New York, us, Philadelphia, that kind of stuff. Uh, one of the most, uh, one uh, a FireMart that's on display in the Smithsonian is the New Orleans Mutual Insurance Association FireMart, which can be found in some of the buildings. So that's something definitely accurate that you'll find in New Orleans Square in Disneyland, which is interesting. It reminds me of like New Orleans' first fire marshal, Fire Marshal Bill. Uh, he went to like <laughs> different schools. And <laughs> Let me start something. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, another design thing that you'll see notice in the French Quarter, well, not French Quarter, New Orleans Square, is their use of balconies and galleries. And um, if you're familiar with this, uh, uh, for, for the people not from New Orleans, you know, a balcony is basically if, okay, well, picture this. Picture a building. You got the street and you have the sidewalk that takes it from the building to the street, right? That's where it spans. A balcony basically is a little thing on the, like an upper floor that kind of juts out, but doesn't quite make it all the way to the street and maybe makes it halfway and is supported by braces. That's what we call a balcony. However, if said balcony were to be extended all the way to the street and are, is supported by these posts they, or columns, they'd be called a gallery. And of course, in New Orleans, a gallery is much preferred because of our weather. And we were going to duck under there. So that's one design feature that uh, may be overlooked because you never thought, hey, they just probably all call it a balcony. But that's something definitely interesting. And if you now, come down here during Mardi Gras, you'll find many a woman up on those galleries um, showcasing their best assets. Yes. For and beads. For, yes. for plastic beads. Yes. <laughs> yes. And you'll see and, men showcasing their best assets and they're lucky if they get a doubloon. Or, or not kicked out. Well, I was going to say, if you, you know, since we're talking about the post, does anybody want to mention the greasing of the poles during Mardi Gras tradition? <laughs> do they do that in uh, New Orleans Square? And, well, they don't do it in New Orleans Square, but they happen to do it. But uh, it leads me to a, a, a different point regarding New Orleans Square. Uh, so just uh, you know, Mardi Gras, we protect the poles so that you know, drunk people don't climb the poles to try to get <laughs> to the balconies, right? So they had this whole tradition where they grease it down with some kind of fat, lard, grease thing. So, you know, if some drunk fool tries to climb it, they're just going to slip right on down <laughs> very easily, right? Everybody's safe. Everybody's cool. It's, it's a big to-do, man. They got like jazz band playing some sexy music and some women like definitely greasing at the poles. But this leads me to this point that's a feature that you will find in Disneyland. It's these things called Romeo Spikes. Um, is anybody familiar with Romeo Spikes? Uh, that's what he used to call, yeah, Chippendales. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> it's how you used to... Cl- <laughs> <laughs> what you clap the greasy pole. I'm just, I just, it just occurred to me that when Eli thinks of greasing the pole, that is just not what he thinks of it. 
no, no. That's totally why I kept quiet. I yeah. just was, no, I know, yeah. but it's like when you yes. used to climb the poles, right, Kev? What's that? What's like that? The Romeo spikes. It's like the little, the little things that jut out that you used to climb the poles, right? Not to use to climb the poles, but to prevent people from climbing the poles. No, right. I'm, I'm, um, okay, I said it wrong. Okay, go ahead. So yeah, the Romeo spikes are these little miter, metal spider-looking nests that you might see toward the top of a post. They have them in New Orleans Square and Disneyland, and they also have them here in New Orleans. And the reason why they're called Romeo spikes is it, it'll, it's supposed to keep uh, armors, young men that want some loving from shimming up the post to visit a daughter on the second floor. You know? Uh-huh. Yeah, the, the, the oh. same... Yeah, the same goes. It's like um, they say a boy may go up as Romeo, but he'll come down as Juliet. (laughs) (laughs) I love that one. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you'll see that a lot. It's pretty amazing. You know, uh, the the iron work uh, is is rampant throughout New Orleans Square. And, you know, that's just a combination of our French and Spanish heritage and stuff. Uh, The ones in New Orleans all tell some kind of a story. And uh, I haven't looked closely yet at the ones at New Orleans Square, but I'm sure they tell a story. That those are some of the things that I found unique about New Orleans Square that really, really tie in the flavor of our fair city. Absolutely, very nice. I have one detail that I found researching this that I didn't notice, but now that I've read it, it's like okay, that makes sense why you see it that way. But so New Orleans being a port city, um, one of the elements that helps to tell the story of New Orleans Square is the intriguing sailing ship mast peeking out above the rooftops. So if you see those masks, you get the feeling that there may be more to explore, something that will draw you in deeper to the area. However, this Disney detail was not always part of the New Orleans Square roofline. One of the defining concept renderings uh, for New Orleans Square by Imagineering artist Herbert Ryman showed the masks as tall sailing ships framed by the rooftops, appearing as if a tall ship was just entering the port of New Orleans. Why Lee so Lost Avika? If I didn't know better, I'd swear you were reading. No, I'm making this all up right off the top of my head. 100% memorized from something that I read earlier. Uh-huh. Uh, but in the 1990s, Imagineers added mass to the roofline of the New Orleans Square, of New Orleans Square, making the skyline appear just as Ryman had envisioned it years before. But it's like, a, like they didn't have to do that. You know what I mean? But that's a, that's a, a major detail. That's how Disney does things. That, that's pretty impressive. Absolutely. So, yeah, is there a reason why that a politician used New Orleans Square? Well, there's, there's a lot of pieces and parts, intricate pieces and parts that hopefully you as a listener will go uh, check out next time you're out in Disneyland in New Orleans Square. And, and one last thing, Kevin, that um, also in New Orleans Square that nobody kind of touched on is um, that's where Disney has, you know, he developed his own private club there, Club 33. Oh, that's a great point, Keith. Yeah, we, oh, we absolutely yeah. did admit that. Not only Club 33, but that was where his uh, family suite was going to be. Yep. That's where his apartment, I mean, because they outgrew the apartment on Main Street in the firehouse. They were building it over there. That's a wonderful point. And at the, t- at the time when Club 33 opened up, it was the only place in Disneyland that you can get alcohol. Yes, it was. Well, that is your New Orleans tie-in right there, yes. And, right. And, and Walt <laughs> yep. did love his Scotch myth. And, and to your point, Danny, you know, when he built New Orleans Square, that's where he put his, you know, massive um, personal apartment for whatever reason. Was it is tied to loving New Orleans or just it was a new land in the park or, you know, whatever. But um, just kind of interesting that, that, that he chose that location for his apartment. Well, I, yeah, yeah. Personally, I think it was a the view B the yeah, it was a, the modernness of the area. And then I absolutely see. I mean, yeah, it's the you're connected right to. 
Club 33, which is also connected to Blue Bayou. So you have a mm-hmm. kitchen on, on call, basically. Uh, so yeah, no, it was, a, it was a smart decision on Walt's part to go ahead and do that. So all that tells me is that if Walt had his preference, he'd live in New Orleans. <laughs> and we would love to have him. Yes, he sure. would. Yeah, he was the honorary mayor uh, during that dedication ceremony. He could have actually imposed in front of the area. Nobody would have gave him any trouble because he built it. Yeah, so all the points that we discussed, aside from the facade that's obvious, you look at it, and, and there's definitely a lot of characteristics that are New Orleans-based. These, uh, these are a lot of little details that uh, you may have overlooked because you probably just didn't know about it. So, yeah, so we're going to wrap up this part of the conversation here. There's a lot. Dude, there's, there's so much dealing with New Orleans and Dizzy. It's not even funny. And um, we're going to talk about this on the next show. Keith, what are we going to talk about next to wet the listener's whistle, if you were? Well, next we're going to talk about, um, you know, Walt loves New Orleans and how the New Orleans connection connects to uh, Disney World, including some un- um Set plans of a New Orleans hotel. Yes, sir. Walt Disney World, a, the place that a lot of New Orleanians go visit, especially during Mardi Gras or Thanksgiving or whenever we get a break that's separate from the rest of the country. So tune in to the next episode of the Magic Our Way podcast where we bring back Keith and we're going to discuss this further. Well, guys, we hope you enjoyed that journey exploring uh, Disney as well as New Orleans. If you want to learn more about us, magicourway.com is the way to go. There you'll find our social media links, past episodes, and more. You can also get in touch with us, so share your opinions. You can shoot us an email at showatmagicourway.com, leave us a voicemail of our SpeakPipe widget, or you can call or text us at 1-815-MOWEEKEN. That is 1-815-MOWEEKEN-669-4226. And, of course, we got a couple guys to do things outside of the podcast. Number one, we got Eli. Does things with comics. Eli, tell them how to find you. Oh, yes. As always, you could go to the Ivory Comics website and check out the artwork that God for the Bottom Be Damned and Project Geisha and Savages. Uh, there's also a link to this podcast, so you never miss an episode. Uh, also, you can find me on Facebook, uh, Eli Jiry. Find me there. Uh, there's a Project Geisha Facebook page, so just you go to Facebook.com, just go and search for Project Geisha. You'll find that there and post up a couple of likes. That'll be really nice. Uh, also, Instagram, I'm there, eivory 504 And, of course, on Twitter, I can be found at Hancock1066. So I hope you guys uh, stay safe out there and... Uh, I appreciate the madness because I'm definitely getting a lot of gladness. Uh, thank you very much. And guys, if you want to book a vacation to anywhere in the world, you can do so through Lee. Lee, tell them how to do this. That's give me a call at 832-431-1621. That's 832-POLGREASE. 832-P-O-L-G-R-E-S. <laughs> you can email me at Lee at MagicRWay.com. Check out the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash LostToBeCTravel. Uh, Instagram, you can find me at you got a friend in Lee Travel. And if you do any of that, we'll get you hooked up and booked up with no Casavica. And guys, there's a bunch of ways to support us. Number one, buy some beignets right there in our homepage. You can also buy some clothing from the weekend shop to represent us wherever you go. Also, we are part of the BS Podcast Network. Support our partners of podcasting over there. And the easiest way to support us is to leave a rating and a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you download the show, whether it is Stitcher, Blueberry, Google Play, Music, etc. And also, if you want to have a place in which you can freely speak your Disney mind without fear of retribution, join us in the Moican Pleasure Island 33 Facebook group. 
There you'll have the chance to interact with all the famous weekends, as well as Danny, Eli Lee, and yours truly. And of course, we thank you always for taking the time out of your day to listen to us and making us a part of your Disney fan life. We appreciate you and love hearing from our listeners. All opinions are welcome on the Magic Our Way podcast, so get in touch with us today. So, my weekends, ladies and gentlemen, we say Quaharini. My name is Kevin. And I'm Danny. Magic out. I have every intention of eating those bananas for breakfast, but I still somehow end up with tacos. Dobear. Hey, Mohicans. This is Jane from Mad Hatter Radio. Does this quarantine make you mad? Does not being at Disney World make you sad? Well, we invite you at Mad Hatter Radio to listen to Park Audio on madhatterradio.net. Join us.